hey, there he is. <laughs> I had to wake John up from his boomer nap. Uh, that's all they do in Arizona in the afternoons on the weekends is just uh, sleep in or whatever. Hey, everyone. It's episode two, uh, 52. And uh, I want to do a little bit something different. Uh, I don't usually do guests. I don't usually do theme, you know, specific themes with these guests or anything like that. Um, but I got an idea. I read something John wrote this past week. And also he's on the ground in Arizona. So he has kind of a unique view about, about the governor's race out there and kind of the rise of the candidate over there is Carrie Lake. And she went from being someone who kind of bought into some of Trump's election nonsense uh, to someone who was then propped up because of that by Democratic money, Democratic donors, because they thought that she was going to be an easy one to beat in the general election with those claims. Katie Hobbs, a Democratic opponent, has refused to debate her based on those things, I guess. Uh, I don't know who's advising her on that. Um, but in the meantime, Lake is kind of barnstormed across the state and is kind of employing the Trump strategy of taking on all comers. She'll do, she's, she's going to sit down with John Carl tomorrow uh, on his morning show, whatever that's called. And uh, as well as kind of taking a combative attitude towards the media, much in the same way that Ron DeSantis does in Florida. And uh, Rich Laurie had a rundown as well of a profile of her in Politico. And I find her to be a kind of fascinating figure on several levels. Uh, one, obviously, I don't buy into the 2020 election nonsense that she's she's kind of spun into saying, you know, we're allowed to ask questions about our elections, which she's, of course, right about. Uh, but some of the specific claims don't really have merit. She's also kind of gone on offense uh, with the press as far as uh, other election deniers, including the White, the White House press secretary. And Lake is kind of one of these going on offense style conservatives. And she's also someone who has kind of refined Trump's message. And also it's her unique background in media. This is someone who spent 20, 25 years in, in media in Arizona. And John can certainly comment more on that. And so she's someone who kind of knows two things. She kind of knows all the tricks that they try to pull because she's seen them and she's done them. And two, she's uniquely qualified to combat those things. And she's uniquely prepared for those kinds of attacks. And that's not something you, you see a lot and not even from kind of Trump. And she looks like she's poised to now win that race. It looks like that she has pulled ahead. And uh, it, it certainly looks like she's going to possibly be the next governor of Arizona. And that has ramifications down the road. Some could be good and some could be bad. Um, I, I've, as I've said, she instantly becomes a star uh, in the GOP should she win that race. And I know people have talked, myself included, about vice presidential aspirations on a ticket with Trump. And I absolutely think she would fit in there uh, perfectly, agree or disagree with that ticket. But she is someone that is certainly going to be one to watch. And I would even go so far as to say just putting her into the vice president slot, I think, is undercutting her chances on a national stage. I think that she could be a very formidable candidate in the next four to eight years. And as I've said, and uh, I, I know that this is controversial to some of you and JV last at the bulwark who, who knows I'm not really a fan of and who's no fan of mine. I think he's correct that to me, in my opinion, at least that Carrie Lake 
is actually the uh, the so-called apprentice <laughs> of uh, Trump or Trumpism, what you would call it, more so than Ron DeSantis. As DeSantis has managed to kind of keep a lot of Trump and that nonsense at arm's length and not really have to campaign on uh, that kind of a platform, mainly because he's just up and he's already in the office. And so Lake, as I said, is a fascinating figure. She offers some weird dynamics, some that I think are favorable, some that I do not think are favorable. And John wrote uh, kind of about this, that Democrats may mock GOP candidates, uh, but who are the un unelectable ones now? And it certainly looks like in the case of Carrie Lake, they're certainly going to regret propping her up for very many years to come, much the same way our media propped Donald Trump up in 2016 with billions of dollars in free honored media. It's the same strategery. Uh, they just didn't seem to learn from it. So I wanted to bring John on and uh, talk about what's going on in Arizona. I wanted to talk about his piece and see what he says. And I wanted to get his thoughts on Lake. Um, is Carrie Lake someone that, and, and John is not someone who I know voted for Trump in 2016 along with myself, but I was kind of curious if he's evolved in that arena and uh, if Lake is someone that despite embracing some of Trump's wilder, nuttier claims, is, he, is she someone that he could see himself voting for both as governor and possibly both as on a ticket or as president? So when John, um, there you go. It's just technology. I know. You, you okay? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I'm just sipping my insurer shake to get my energy level back up and putting the blanket back over my leg rocking chair here. There's a draft. Listening to the phono machine, the phonograph? Yeah. Uh, how are you, sir? I've not talked to you in a while. I know yeah. people are bugging us to do another music show, which is something maybe possible. We might even be able to do here. Um, the other thing I have to mention right off the bat is I know we were the conservatarians Restoratarian doesn't really roll off the tongue uh, easy. Not too much. So if you want to touch on that, I saw this going around, and I read it, and I don't really comment on it, but uh, I saw this, uh, I think it was the Federalist who said, we need to stop calling ourselves conservatives, and then you wrote a piece saying, well, we should be calling ourselves restorationists because there's not really much left to conserve. We should be in, in the practice of restoring liberty, liberties. And as I think I said to you, I don't think the kids are going to go for that. So I, I go with Avengers. <laughs> I think we should be calling ourselves the Avengers Party, as I've said. I think I said this back with Trump, which is, you know, if we can't save conservatism, we damn well should just avenge it. Um, and it looks like that that's kind of what a new crop of GOP stars are doing. So touch briefly on your restorationist stuff, and then we'll get into the Carrie Lake nonsense. And also, just, just for the room... Uh, we'll, me and John will go here for uh, about 30 minutes, and then we'll go about, let's see, it's 6.15, so my hope is to go about an hour, uh, So, and then we'll go about 30 minutes. We'll try to get through as many people as possible, but I may have to cut it off because it's Saturday night, and none of us really want to be here. We want to be where John is, just, you know, in his rocking chair and passed out on grandpa breath, um, and so... Touch briefly on what you meant by restorationists, and then we'll go. I want to talk about Carrie Lake and your impressions, just being someone in Arizona, and then we'll go thirty minutes of uh, guest speakers, callers, and as I said, everyone. Just uh, usually, if you uh, just kind of keep it short, because we do have people uh, behind you most likely, and also if you can just please mute your microphone as usual, uh, just to kind of make it more uh, listenable for the uh, audience. John, what is a restorationist? 
Because I, I it, saw some the, plus it, and minuses to this. People were pushing back saying, you know, this is like restoring Jim Crow or some shit. Well, that's the exact point. It's actually Jim Eagle. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like uh, Georgia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's just an attitude of um, restoring things, not to how they were, but just the basic principles and the people who were criticizing it from that. You want to turn it back to the 1950s. I'm like, 1950s? What are you talking about? Way, way, way back. Um, but. <laughs> You we want to go to the six. We want to go to the sixteen fifties. Oh, right, right. No, but it's not about turning things back. It's about restoring the basic constitutional order of getting the government the heck off our backs, uh, letting states uh, do their thing without the federal government trying to crush them all the time. Maybe having a budget nationally that we follow and not be thirty-one trillion in debt. It's uh, getting back to the constitutional order as it is supposed to be, not. Let's go. Let's uh, cycle back to such and such year. How you, know, you don't need to. You don't need to throw anything. You don't need to throw out any advances made. Just enforce the flipping Constitution. Read the Federalist Papers. Um, it, it's all in there. Um, but what that would do is just shrink the size of government. Uh, get them off our backs. Uh, enhance all basic civil liberties, and that's about it. You know, defend our borders. Uh, you know, if somebody invades us, fight back. But there's not a whole Canada. lot the feds are supposed to be doing that they're doing now. So how does that how does that compute with, you know, going on offense against things like, you know, what we see with, you know, woke corporatism and, you know, banks are going to start looking at uh, gun owners, you know, things of this nature. Is that compatible? Is, is going back to kind of a restoration style idea is that compatible with going on offense against you know corporations companies academia entertainment that is basically just coming after every aspect of your life yeah that's that's what i wonder about because that seems to be where this new new right is heading which is we're just we're not going to just lay down and, and take this anymore so I guess I, that's that would be my that would be my mainly own my own main question on this is is trying to get back to you know the basics of the Constitution and federalism. How compatible is that with say you know taking on Nike's equity policies, which are clearly you know against civil rights laws, for instance? Yeah, I, I think uh, what this would do. I think DeSantis has uh, made some very good moves on this um, using. The main thing he's done is just used um, his office as a bully pulpit. It's not like he's sending stormtroopers around the country to tell Disney to do A, B, or C. But not yet. Yeah, yeah, we should. Does have his own army? Yeah, does have the Southern Army down there. So right, we don't need special tax zones for multi-gazillion dollars international organizations. It's not really the point. And a lot of what that would mean is it would be outside of politics. I think a lot of people are worried about governmental overreach, uh, using government power in the other way. And yeah, um, the government can be aggressive in just making sure that everybody's rights are respected. And yeah, that includes people on the right as well as left. But the main thing is just doing it in our daily lives. We don't need a government or a president or a governor to handhold us when uh, we push back against what we think is nonsense. And uh, I don't know if if companies want to lose a bunch of employees and lose a bunch of customers, 
knock yourself out, go the direction you want to go. But uh, we're just trying to restore some basic common sense norms and uh, and uh, not only rights enshrined in law and the Constitution, but just respect for one another. You know, I don't know. I, I see a lot of people around the country saying, oh, my gosh, everything's completely going to hell. We're all on each other's throats. And then I walk outside my door. I live in a working class neighborhood. There's all sorts, you know, different races, different ethnicities. I was just going to ask if all your neighbors are white. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not at all. And and the thing is, it's like everybody gets along great. And I have no idea who they're voting for. It is like this is so beyond politics to me. And I think uh, waiting around for Washington to pass some new omnibus bill that'll fix our problems. It ain't going to happen we got to just go out there and fix it ourselves. And and I live way outside the Beltway in Arizona. Um, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe if you live in a hyper-political, you know, upper-middle-class neighborhood in uh, the D.C. area or New York City, it, it's different there, perhaps. But out here in the hinterlands, uh, where I'm watching the tumbleweeds roll by, everybody gets along great. Uh, we're all kind of annoyed together, whatever party we're in at uh, the government for screwing things up. Uh, Tell me about Carrie Lake. One of the other things I I didn't really mention in my intro is whether or not I'm, when I'm paying attention to what I've always said, what's the thing about her is not so much what she's saying, it's how she's saying it. And this is someone who understands thoroughly the, media optics when you see her give interviews she's she's completely lit up like even in her own home it's like a studio lighting so she's completely lit up she's got the the blurry background she's got the microphone she's very very i want to say charismatic when it comes to presentation and i would also argue that that's you know probably to me her biggest strength when you see her talk when you see her confront reporters when you see her talk to speeches she very much comes off like a like an anchor like a television anchor and she's never breaking that character because it seems like that's who she is and as i said when they when i when she first came on my radar and i learned that you know she was one of these uh candidates that democrats were propping up uh, into the general election because they thought, hey, she's an election denier. We can put her up there and then we can just run on the fact that she wants to end democracy as we know it. And when I first saw her and when I first was hearing about her, that was my first thought was this is going to be a mistake because she does have, you know, a kind of, I don't want to say positive charisma, but she knows her stuff and she knows she is not you know, she's not Mastriano in Pennsylvania, for instance. She's someone who is very well adept at the media political landscape. And so instantly when I saw her, I'm like, oh, they're going to regret this one. And obviously Arizona's a, you know, a, a blue to red to blue to red purple kind of state. So it swings back. It's, you know, it, it goes all kinds of different fucking directions. We don't, we don't ever know. And at least my view as someone who's an outsider there, Carrie, what's her name? Hob, Katie Hobbs has just to me looked like she's run the most ineffective campaign. Her idea is I'm not going to debate you. I'm not even going to give you legitimacy as a candidate. I'm not going to stand on the same stage as you uh, because you want, you're an election denier and all of this stuff. And that to me looks like it has backfired spectacularly. I don't, I don't disagree with the kind of the idea of that tactic, 
but that's not something I think you can get away with in Arizona. <clears throat> you have, you know, Mark Kelly is slamming her now <laughs> in a bid to kind of save his hide. And obviously Cinema's not really out there campaigning for her as well. Uh, naughty, by the way. <laughs> and so just, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but and what, what am I missing, if anything, with Carrie Lake? Or am I pretty dead on? And I mean, just out of curiosity, I mean, she carries kind of a Trumpian message. And to say that, let's say she's governor and Trump is running in 2024 and Arizona is a 5,000 vote deficit state, I would say, yeah, there's at least for me, there might be some concern there that she's going to, you know, stop the steal or whatever you want to call it. Um, but then on the other hand, I'm one of these people where she could be, she could be on his ticket, uh, or she could even be the candidate herself. So that's kind of, like I said, she really is an enigmatic personality and she is one that this election cycle, to me, at least I, I just looked at and I said, oh, they're going to, they're going to regret that one because she, she's dangerous, not in the sense of danger to the constitution. She's a dangerous candidate in the sense of, I think that they severely underestimated her and did all of this, not, not thinking that she was going to be in the position that she's in. And she's not someone who ever shrinks away from conflict when it comes to journalists or going on hostile media environments, because she, again, she knows how to handle these people better than certainly Trump and certainly better than someone like Newt Gingrich or Chris Christie. Uh, because she came from that. And I don't know if you if you can provide background on her. She's been in Arizona for 20 years as an, as an anchor and a news personality. So that's kind of all I wanted to have you. I wanted to get your feeling and you can feel free to talk about your piece. And where am I right? And where am I wrong on any of this? Okay, I think um, you're pretty much right over the target. Um, she is the, the big thing in state and local politics is just the basics of name recognition. Uh, Katie Hobbs has been uh, milling around state politics for a long time. Most people don't know who she is. Carrie Lake was in people's homes, basically, on TV as an anchor on the Fox affiliate for Phoenix. Um, won a bunch of awards doing it. Very good anchor. And usually the other stations were ex uh, trading out anchors and different personnel every couple of years. She was on for 22 years, I believe. So going back to the 90s, basically, she was um, a major anchor um, on local news. So people knew about her, um, definitely, and just felt comfortable. There, there's almost this thing like when people who do radio shows for a long time, the listeners feel like there's a personal connection. You get the same with local media personalities like that. Um, she wasn't biased in her reporting and her talking. It was mostly pretty straightforward. and. Um, she had been attacked the last few years of her tenure as an anchor. Oh, she's talking to dangerous people and she might be going conservative and that's evil and bad. Um, but I don't know. I've always, in my limited interactions with her, I've got along well with her. She's very intelligent. Like you say, very poised, isn't saying kooky things or anything. Um, in the primary, she did really uh, push hard on the 2020 stuff, the stop the steal stuff. And I was, you know, uncomfortable with that because I just, part of it too is just, would you focus on what people are talking about now, not what happened to one dude who isn't in, even in our state two years ago? It's just like, it's just basic common sense. That's what you do. But she sailed through the GOP primary. Uh, the establishment kind of put up a damp wish rag against her and that didn't go anywhere. So, um, 
she won that pretty handily. And I, I know I was writing, I write, uh, so everyone knows I'm opinion columnist for the Arizona Republic, in addition to my stuff that I do for ricochet.com. Um, but I was writing at the time as that was closing up, and you could see that she would win, that Carrie Lake and other candidates on the right, which were like, likely to win, like Blake Masters, who's running against Mark Kelly for the Senate, just saying, hey, uh, why don't you focus on what voters care about? They care about their milk prices, their gas prices, uh, rising crime, just basic stuff, instead of all this kind of mega code stuff that, I don't know, many, many um, primary candidates were talking about all the time. Man, the second they won, it was just, boom, turned on a dime, started talking to the voters directly. And like you say, Carrie Lake just knows how to work a camera and knows how the media works. So from that point on, people would say, well, you're an election denier. And she goes, no, are you talking about Stacey Abrams? Are you talking about Hillary Clinton? Are you talking about the hashtag resistance who said that Trump wasn't the rightful president? So it's a very... On Twitter, it seems very easy for people like us to flip around the narrative on other people, but politicians don't really get it. They're afraid it's too mean, it's too confrontational, but she does it all with a wink in her eye and with a smooth voice, and she, without raising her voice, uh, she throws it back at them, and it's hilarious because these reporters have never heard just these basic arguments about election denial from the other side. It, it's never crossed their mind, basically, that this um, this is yeah, I mean, as much of a problem as anything Carrie Lake. She had. she brought up, I guess, when she was talking to reporters and they were doing the election denial stuff, and she had an intern print out tweets of Karine Jean Pierre. She held them up in front of the camera, and I'm like, this is this is just basic stuff that guys like you and me have been saying you should be doing, like because then the, the odds of them airing that segment are going to drop to the floor. Like if they're trying to say, we tried to get Carrie Lake. And if Carrie Lake, if, if, you know, CBS local goes on the air and Carrie Lake is sitting here holding a tweet from the white house press secretary saying Kemp's Kemp's election was stolen from Stacey Abrams. They're more than likely not going to use that clip. Or if they do, you might get people who are either sitting on the fence or whatever going, Hey, yeah, you know, that is weird that, the current White House press secretary hasn't been asked about her own election denialism only once by Peter Ducey in the six and a half months that she's had her job. And so that's what's interesting with, to me when she goes on national media. And like I said, she's going to be on with John Carl tomorrow. And you, and you have to know John Carl, uh, who's, you know, election denial 2020 stuff in January 6th is, you know, that's his bread and butter. So you have to know she's he's going to ask her about that and what how she's going to respond to that. And so, um, yeah, like I said, you know, just to kind of jump in there real fast. And then as far as the whole thing with Hobbs and like I said, you you obviously know more about this from what from what I gleaned from Katie Hobbs is she kind of reminds me of another Kirsten Cinema. Um, not in the sense of where cinema is now, but where cinema was in local politics then, kind of, you know, far left progressive, uh, someone who's propped up by, you know, that wing of the party in Arizona. Um, but it also seems like it's for that, it's been a little bit of a closer race. But again, you you obviously know. 
Yeah, and Katie Hobbs, too, she's just kind of a placeholder. I, I think you have a lot of people, and maybe this uh, ports over to other state governments. I'm not familiar with them. I've been around uh, the Arizona State Capitol a long time. In college, I worked next door to it for a very boring uh, government-sponsored paper that would report on those things. I've been around forever. But you just have a lot of people who are... They just think, well, I got elected to my small little district in, I don't know, Yuma, Arizona, or some far-flung dis- district, and they just want to keep the gravy train and their influence and their, I don't know, personal ambition uh, growing so they can just make a career of it, do that for 30, 40 years, and then retire and be a lobbyist or something like that, but keep their heads down, not make a lot of waves, um, not really worry too much about the public other than their tiny little district and uh, just kind of go along to get along. And for all effect, for all intents and purposes, it seems like that's who Katie Hobbs is. She has been secretary of state now for four years. She's barely been mentioned by anybody. You know, she was going to, uh, I don't know, become, tried to become governor at least. A lot of people are like, oh yeah, she, she would be good at that just because she's a boring placeholder. But she never got out there as Secretary of State. She never built any machine. She never got anything going. Then she gets to the primary. She's running against a Hispanic guy. And it's revealed that she had fired a black staffer um, unduly. And uh, there were a lot of very believable um, reports of racism and how that was handled and um, what she did afterwards. And she's running against a Hispanic guy that had a lot of base support, a lot of strong support with our growing Latino, sorry, Latinx vote here in Arizona. And she refused to debate him because she wasn't going to dignify him by sharing the stage with him, just like she's doing now with Lake. And that really ticked off a very vocal part of the Democratic base here, the Latino vote. A lot of people are like, what the heck are you doing? You know, giving short shrift to this guy. Uh, like he's beneath you, she ends up winning anyway, because even fewer people have heard of him. And now she's trying to run the same playbook. Um, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, hide, and do this kind of Biden basement strategy. There's there's, there's a lot of that going on on that side of the aisle right now. Oh, a lot. Yeah. And (laughs) what I I said in my piece for the Arizona Republic, uh, you can check it out. It's azcentral.com is the website. But what I pointed out there is Biden could kind of get away with it because people have known him for 50 years. They they know who the heck he is, positive or negative. But also, okay, there's a pandemic going around. He's 77. Even back then when it wasn't uh, his age and health wasn't focused on, people were like, oh, yeah, it kind of makes sense that an old dude would just want to hide out. You know, kind of someone of my age. You know, you're just like, oh, leave John alone. Let him sit on his porch. But, you know, Katie Hobbs, I don't know, what, maybe she's 50, if that, and uh, there's no pandemic. You can't do that. And in a Sunbelt state, Western state, the whole attitude is you got to mix it up with people. And you got to let people yell at you sometimes and figure out how to handle it. That's that's how the job works. Uh, People are kind of feisty out in Western states, and you need to do that, if nothing else, Even if they complain at you, they're like, well, they stood up, they heard my complaint, so I guess they aren't a bad person. It's not like it's a terrible thing to just uh, mix it up with people and sometimes just get hollered at, but you got to show poison that. Um, 
I don't know, Secretary of State is not subject to much of that. Uh, we do not have, by the way, a lieutenant governor in Arizona. Secretary of State basically fills that role. So she was kind of uh, a person in waiting for the biggest office in the state, but she never talked to people. And she's trying to get through this entire campaign without talking to anybody and just uh, running occasional ads on TV saying how great abortion is. When everybody's concerned about grocery prices, people can't afford to drive their cars to work. Uh, they're worried about kids in school and issues there. Um, I, I'm sorry, that's just not going to cut it. You just got to get out there and talk to people. I think Mark Kelly also is her, um, harmed by this too, because when cinema was big in the news, she never hid. She was just out there talking to people 24-7, even if they were mad at her. And uh, Kelly has just been you know, hiding for a couple of years. And now that he's running, he's not doing a ton of public events uh, once again. He has a lot of ads, and his ads are, I'm an astronaut, abortion's great. Also, did I mention I'm an astronaut? That's all he's running on. And and now, as you note, the past week or so, and I don't, I barely watch TV, but YouTube has all the ads, of course, before any time I want to watch the latest cool band, I have to sit through political ads. But now Mark Kelly is all of a sudden... Mr. Anti-Democrat, I'm really stuck to Joe Biden on this one issue. He voted with Biden 95% of the time. But I'm just standing up for Arizona against Biden. And I'm, you know, he's throwing, trying to throw Katie Hobbs under the bus because everybody's pretty sure that she's going to lose. Even hard, you know, hardline Democrats are like, have gone through the grieving process already and are basically giving up on her because she's so incompetent. But all of a sudden, Kelly's acted like, you know, he's running completely as a Republican now in his ads. It's all slow-mo waving flags, um, veterans' graveyards, uh, pictures of him when he was in the military. Um, by the way, I might not have mentioned it. He's an astronaut. That's basically what he's running on. Um, but it's He has a twin brother. Late. You forgot that one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's too little too late because all he has been talking about for six months, he has a 10 to 1 advantage over Blake Masters financially. And he has just been pouring it into ads saying Blake Masters is weird and um, also abortion is so important. It's, you know, once again, I'm just, you know, I'm not a visionary genius of the caliber of, say, Steve Schmidt. But even I know, maybe talk about what voters actually care about. And, um, Yes, there are, there is a very small group of people who care passionately about the abortion issue and nothing else. That might be 2% of the vote, if you're lucky. And anybody who views being pro-choice as the most important or the only thing they care about, they're all voting Democrat anyway. They're, they're activists and they're voting D. You don't need to win those people over. And even back early when Blake Masters was down in the polls, when Carrie Lake was down in the polls, I'm thinking, what are these people doing? You know, <laughs> you know, it's just it's not that big an issue. And most people on abortion as well. You know, I'm like, a, you know, total pro-life guy. But the general people, most people, they're wishy-washy in the middle. It's just like, look, I don't like it. It's kind of I'd like to avoid it if possible. I don't know. Maybe don't do it really late. But, you know, just kind of turn your eyes the other way in the first trimester, that's where most people are. And if Carrie Lake had been running on, we need to ban all abortions in a case of rape, which she did not do, but if she ran on that message and talked about nothing else, 
she might be at 20% in the polls right now. It, it's just, it basically, any political consultant working on this um, messaging campaign for the Democrats, and this means coast to coast, not just America, um, Arizona, but they need to be sued for malpractice because their messaging has just been insane. Um, real fast to just wrap up, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you to the listeners. <clears throat> what do you see with Lake as far as national? This is kind of the third part of this whole deal because she clearly is someone who could be tapped for vice president. We've heard this from, you know, and it's interesting your answer on, a, her, she gave this answer on abortion and I don't have it in front of me, but that's really where it seemed that like the national review crowd jumped on board with her. It was always kind of, you know, she was an election denier. She's too Trumpian. She, yeah, I don't know. That's just, yeah, whatever. And then when she gave that answer on abortion, I think she gave it speaking to a reporter. That's kind of like when National Review, the Rich Lowry and National Review praised her on that. And I even think it was Alec DeSantis who did that. And that's where I noticed people who were trying to, who were kind of keeping her. And they went, okay, she knows her stuff. Um, but as far as national, this was the other thing I mentioned. She, she's been asked directly if she would accept, you know, a running mate for Trump. And she answered, you know, how you answer during a campaign. You're like, no, she said something like, I have no interest in going to Washington whatsoever. Uh, I, I'm interested in, you know, being governor of Arizona, which is how you have to answer. Because if you don't, then it's like, well, we're not going to vote for you if you're going to be right. gone in two years. Um, but even if, you know, as I said, J.B. Last from the Bulwark, who I, get, who I know is no fan of yours and vice versa and the same with me, <laughs> I, I think he was actually really dead on that I think Carrie Lake is more – of an heir apparent to Trump than even someone like DeSantis, because I think she's Trump came from media as well. People forget that Trump came from, you know, entertainment media such as wrestling. And he came from NBC. And, you know, this is a guy who was, you know, right next to Jeff Zucker for years and years and years and years and years. And, you know, this is a guy who was on meet the press and he's invited on meet the press and everywhere. I mean, Trump, Trump for the most part was media for, you know, 10, 15 years in this country. And so I, I look at someone like Carrie Lake and I say she, she, to me at least, is far more, I think, poised to be that kind of apprentice. <laughs> Don't say it. Yeah. Um, as far as politics is concerned. And I've said that, you know, I've said you can probably even remove the vice presidential designation. She, I mean, she is someone that could probably harness Trump's base, you know, should Trump decide not to run or if he keels over or if he just, you know, in eight years is, is obviously not able to run or whatever. And so I look at her in that sense nationally. And I don't know if she would be, if she actually would be Trump's running mate. I do think that that would almost be the only ideal pick for him. <laughs> right. um, I mean, other than, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's out there spouting off, but um, go into that a little bit. What do you, what are your thoughts about her nationally, her prospects nationally or future nationally? Am I, am I off or on, on any of that kind of stuff? I think she would jump. She has tied herself, especially in the primary um, arena. She tied herself very closely to Trump. Um, he's been out here campaigning for her. And um, I, I think it she would definitely be on the short list if he does run for Veep candidates. Yeah, I don't know if she would actually go for it. Uh, just looking at her long-term um, possibilities on a national stage, I, I think uh, she has really taken the state and a lot of the country, a lot of the Trump base by storm. And I think she could very deftly handle it as long as everything's going smoothly 
with her governorship, she could very she would she could just say, "Look, I was just elected governor. Um, I need to fulfill my role here." But I sure thank you know I'm voting for Trump, and I sure thank him for um, considering me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think it would be very easy to stay on Trump's side and also stay in office. You know, look, I'm going to be fighting for Trump here in Arizona, making sure our elections are safe and sound, you know. So, um, is she, yeah, is she someone, think... is she someone you think that the, the national GOP base could get behind as a candidate herself? Absolutely. They I could mean, get behind yeah, I mean, the other, the other thing that was interesting. I mean, like Glenn Youngkin was just out there with her yeah. and that one made all the right people angry. And I uh-huh. thought like that right there is a ticket also. I mean, Absolutely. you would have, you would have someone who was elected by keeping Trump at a distance um, someone who generally, similar to DeSantis, kind of unites the tribes a bit, focuses on the right issues as far as turning the Republican Party into a parent's party. That's mm-hmm. just that's pornography when I hear that term. <laughs> I'm just like, you fi- you guys finally fucking got it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so you see you see Glenn Youngkin out there with Carrie Lake. And I'm thinking, man, I mean, that could be your ticket there. Um, I know. And I don't know how you voted in 2020. And I know you and I were both adverse to Trump in 2016, and I, I very famously made the prediction on the podcast Trump was going to lose. Um, is Carrie Lake someone you could vote for either for governor or for president, given what we know about her embrace of Trump or given what we know uh, about kind of how she's flirted with the 2020 election steal stuff? Um, is is what is Trump just the messenger that neither of us could get behind? And it's kind of like it's not so much his ideas. It's one who he is as a person who pretty much only gives a shit about himself at the end of the day. Um, or is it just, he had some of the right ideas and we both kind of were like, okay, here's when Trump did something good. Here's when he did something bad. Um, does, does, I'm not so sure. And Jane Coates from the New York times has said this, that Trumpism exists without Trump because we don't really know. We don't really know. There aren't really any, post-Trump candidates yet that have won. I would argue Carrie Lake is a poster child for a post-Trump candidate. Um, I, I don't know so much about someone like Glenn Youngkin, who again was able to kind of keep that at a, at a, at a distance. Um, so I guess I look at it and I just peg you. Is, is Carrie Lake, I don't know how you're voting in Arizona and you don't have to say that, but is she someone that you could get behind? Is she someone that could bring you back into the Republican fold, sort of speak? Um, and like I said, if I mean, my thing with her, she's almost too Trumpian to unite the tribes where they are now. But four, eight years from now, and like you said, depending on Arizona is doing, um, that's just my my last curiosity. And I'm going to throw you to the wolves of my audience. Yeah. um, Katie Hobbs has been so incompetent. Um, A lot of the times when you're probably very similar, when I vote, I look at all the candidates involved and I think who is going to hurt me and my government, my community, <laughs> least. I'm going to choose that person. Who's going to leave me alone? That's exactly. Kind of, exactly. That's, yeah. I and I think story. you and I, we, we've talked about that, where yeah. it's kind of like we're both in that leave me alone caucus. It's just uh-huh. like, don't. And I've always said that, that that's mainly how I learned to fall on the political right, which is a lot, of, a lot of politicians on the right are cringe. They're just not, I mean, they're just not my guys. But then I see what Democrats are doing in schools. I see what they're doing in academia. I see what they're doing, you know, uh, now they're talking about ignoring Biden's, uh, there was a, the Eighth Circuit put a stay on a student loan 
program and now you have like mainstream pundits on the left going fuck it ignore it and yeah you know i see that and i'm kind of like one party to me can be wrong a lot but the other party is sitting here trying to constantly break my arms (laughs) (laughs) and so um that's the last one i wanted to gauge i'm going to jump into callers we'll go we'll go for about a half hour here all right. And um, and most of these people, my regulars, John. So uh, I guess uh, Joe's Joe's going to give you an earful. So go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll keep this short because I know we're running up against John's bedtime. So uh, you'll just just get a couple quick questions from me. Um, John, good to speak with you. Um, I just wanted to get a couple of um, quick thoughts from you about it. Um, so to me, it seems like. I don't know if it's as much as Carrie Lake is winning this as much as Katie Hobbs is actively blowing it. And you just see condemnation from everywhere for the style of campaign that she's run. There was even a segment on Morning Joe this week about how poor a campaign she has been running. And I think her refusal to show up for or even agree to a debate with Lake is probably the on the Democratic side, probably the single biggest unforced error that I've seen this cycle. Um, t- t- she said it's, it's, that, that feels she to me like she's taking advice from the Lincoln Project. Like she she brought in like Wilson and Schmidt to consult and they were like, don't even don't even debate her. And that's that's I don't know if she has or not, but that's what that feels like to me. It feels it, it does kind of feel that way to me a bit, too. I also do wonder if there's a psychological element of, OK, you put her up on stage right next to a very telegenic personality who has a career in media. And regardless of if you think the things that she's saying is crazy or not, just based on her background, how she's going to make her look incredibly small by comparison. Um, so, John, I wonder um, I wonder kind of like what your thoughts are on that general point is, do you think Carrie Lake is more winning this or Katie Hobbs is actively blowing it? Yeah, it's, um, I think, uh, just based on how active she's been, Carrie Lake is out there working for the damn thing and Katie Hobbs is not. So it really is a half and half thing. Um, I think um, even if Katie Hobbs had agreed to debate and was out there having public events and talking to people, her campaign team proudly shared um, a photo this morning for Look at our people. We're out here. We're revved up and ready to go. And it was this completely empty union hall with like, well, not completely empty. There's about two dozen dudes in orange union shirts way off in the distance. There's just she's just not engaging with anybody out there. So it is always a combination. But seeing how atrocious Hobbs does under friendly questioners, whether uh, representing um, Arizona Latino conferences, whether national press, you know, going on CNN, whatever it might be, local press. She is a deer in the headlights. She's got this just painful, hesitating, squeaky valley girl parlance. And it's just painful to watch. Um, I think it would have harmed her less to debate just because a lot of people don't watch those. Um you know, especially locally, you know, even presidential elections, most the average American isn't going to, OK, I'm going to take an hour and a half and watch this debate. It's important to our country. Um, but it gets to state offices that that audience shrinks a whole lot more. Um, I think she just should have taken the hit. And if you are not competent enough 
to present yourself well in a debate, you have no business being in politics or running for that office, period. You have to expose yourself to voters and the opposition because that's the job of a governor. That's what you're going to be dealing with for the next four years. If you can't handle it for an hour, uh, good luck you ever having a chance to uh, be productive or do a good job over the next four years. Um, so, yeah, Katie Hobbs has been a uniquely terrible candidate. But again, the entire Democratic machine nationally have been so tone deaf, like when everybody was bashing um, Kirsten Cinema for not voting for, you know, these multi-trillion dollar bills that were getting pushed. And yeah, ultimately she caved on a much, much smaller one. But I was trying to tell everyone locally when I write for the local paper, I'm like, guys, she's on the right side of this. She knows that inflation is coming. She knows that bad times are almost here, even though the D.C. press corps and the Biden administration is pretending that there isn't bad inflation coming down and rough times ahead and now recession, uh, which they conveniently redefined, uh, but we're still heading into one, even by their definition. Um, we we, we will officially be in a recession on January 22nd of next year. Exactly. Exactly. And the Democrats already, Klobuchar has already said this. Um, so they've already telegraphed they're going to blame everything on Republicans, even with Biden in charge and uh, Democrats at least having, you know, if not a majority, uh, a very, very uh, tiny minority, say they'll end up with 49, 48, 47 seats. Um, they're going to try to blame Republicans for the bad economy and the coverage will turn on a dime once these midterms are over. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, answer your question. I think it's 50 50. I think Lake has hustled, has out hustled and is fighting for this. So I can't just say that it's all Hobbs being pathetic uh, because Lake is winning over critics left and right. There are a lot of critics, kind of the suburban upper middle class um, soccer mom type uh, college educated families with the white picket fence and 2.5 kids you know, who are like, I can't really get on board with Trump. So, uh, yeah, my neighbor has a Biden sign. I want to get along. I'll just vote for Biden. Well, those type of people were, they hated Carrie Lake. And now they're like, oh, no, she seems rational. And I don't even know what Hobbs seems like because she won't, you know, come out of hiding. So, yeah, this Lake lady seems pretty competent. And I'm not going to be embarrassed by her, you know, and that's what you needed to get. You need to get these nominal voters who aren't really political. Um, and just kind of, uh, what's the general sense of things? What do my neighbors think? What, what does society want me to do? And, uh, Lake has made herself acceptable to the vast center, let alone the more hardcore megatypes or the much more conservative people. And then also a third of the state is, uh, independent here every year, independence increase, um, in state politics, they're probably going to be the largest quote unquote party within the next couple of years, I'd figure, because people don't really like being associated with either party for some strange reason. I fall into that. Um, but yeah, independence will, she, she's not talking about 2020 stop the steal. She stopped that the day she won the primary. And she has been focused on inflation, crime, schools, all the things that, you know, the sweet spot for the vast majority of voters out there, whatever party they're in. Yeah, well, no, I was just going to say, you mentioned uh, Amy Klobuchar. Um, 
as I'm speaking, um, she's currently having a rally about 20 minutes from where I am in uh, Pennsylvania with um, the non-candidate shotgun Frankenstein. <laughs> I, I was thinking of going to it, except I know that the outcome would be violence from them. Either he would lump off, jump off the stage and start to eat me, or she would throw a stapler at my head. So I'm Loud not... auditory noises. Very <laughs> no. startling. Exactly, exactly. Just wave fire in front of him if you want to distract him. Or bring a violin. Just play the violin. Yeah, I don't even know if she's the guest speaker or security. I mean, either way, it's a smart move on his part. Um, I'll I'll leave you guys to it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Jacqueline, you're up. How how are repairs going down there in Florida for you guys? Everything's good. Um, I just have a couple quick things. Uh, not really much about Arizona because, sorry, king of stuff, I do not <laughs> into Arizona po- politics that much. So I just go by what I hear on podcasts and everything. But, um, Stephen, your podcast earlier talked about Jake Tapper's interview, yeah. the schools and everything. And, <laughs> Isn't it interesting? The last like four or five days, I've started hearing a lot of stuff about the whole look back at COVID policies with yep. regards to opening schools. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were, and also uh, John's as well, of why all of a sudden? Because the like the, these same states have had all these crazy mass restrictions, all these crazy vaccine restrictions, but. They've really decided to take a look back at schools the last, like, five days. And I'm guessing, obviously, it's because of the midterms. You would be but right. Have you, not- have you noticed that as well the last, like, four or five days? It's been in the media so much more than anything else regarding COVID. It, 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 well, they're trying to change the coverage. They're also, I think they know they're about to get the shit kicked out of them. And they're hedging to... Uh, especially people like Tapper hedging to, yes, we hear you parents, you're not actually domestic terrorists after all kind of stuff. Um, I think what's interesting, you saw that with Fauci as well. There was a great meme or graph tweeted out earlier where it has one box and it says the CDC and it says, don't blame us. We only make recommendations. Each school can make up their own decisions. Take it up with them. And then there's an arrow going to a green box that says schools. Don't blame us. We're just following the CDC's recommendation. Take it up with them. And then an arrow going back to the CDC. And that's basically what Anthony Fauci has been doing now for the last few months as he kind of goes on his farewell tour. And uh, so I think part of that is they're trying to mitigate that damage uh, coming out of the midterms, because I really don't think parents have forgotten. This is really this midterm is really the first time that parents are going to get to vote in their districts and stuff like that uh, over mask mandates that were still in place when Joe Biden came in and said, we're going to shut down the virus and their kids were still wearing masks into September of last year, uh, as well as also, you know, COVID measures coming back because of the Omicron variant last year. And I don't, I think our media and I think that that party has severely underestimated the rage that those people have felt. And so I think that this is their way of, you know, trying to keep the barbarians at the gate, so to speak. Um, and I know John, uh, certainly I know John has a college kid now. That's weird. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. So he could probably have a better hint on that. But yeah, the thing with Tapper was just, 
the guy's paid to have national conversations. That's literally his job. <laughs> and he's on TV with Jeb. Jeb uh, saying, you know, why why haven't we had this national conversation? It's like, like Larry O'Connor said, oh, I don't know. It's because you guys are putting that fucking Grim Reaper from Florida on the news all the time instead. Maybe that was the reason. And so uh, as far as like the school stuff, I think that they're trying to I think they're trying to backpedal or trying to halt the damage because I think that this is still going to be an issue in two years, especially if the the governor of Florida uh, is the nominee. John, what, what do you think? Yeah, I agree completely. Um, one thing I will say that turned me off from Lake's campaign during the primary season is her lumping in our current governor, Doug Ducey, with kind of this establishment rhino thing. Because he his track record has been super conservative, and one of the things he did, everybody of course was demanding that he uh, do lockdowns throughout the state. And Arizona, I think Florida might have had a brief statewide lockdown until DeSantis went, "Nope, I reviewed this. This doesn't help. Uh, we're going to stop that." Arizona never had a statewide lockdown. You would have individual counties do them, individual cities do them, but it was never mandated statewide. And man, he took a ton of heat for that. Um, but good for him for doing it. So um, Arizona, like Florida, was very anti-lockdown, anti-mandating masks. Um, some of the kids felt comfortable using them. Um, my kids, like me, are total introverts. So they were actually <laughs> happy with uh, with uh, hiding behind a mask or doing online stuff. So that, that way they could stay up late and, I don't know, play video games or whatever. And I actually now have two kids in college. Quote, uh, quote, my quote unquote, story. John Gabriel, lockdowns were good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so it was like never mandated here, but um, the local schools that my kids went to, one went to a public school, she, COVID hit like two months before she graduated high school. So that part didn't affect her um, too much. But my youngest just graduated um, in May and uh, she went to a charter school, a uh, very pro school choice environment out here in Arizona. And every school just figured it out on their own, handled it their own way. And so my kids didn't really suffer from it because it wasn't this harsh mandate from above that everybody has to comply in exactly this way. Um, my youngest daughter, um, who, like me, ends up staying up super late and waking up super late, um, <clears throat> she would just um, meet with her small school staff, it was a small charter school and she was kicking butt in her studies, you know, getting all A's. Um, and, uh, she would just able to kind of negotiate with them. And when she didn't want to go to an early class, Oh, I need to stay home for this. They're like, all right, whatever. We don't care. Do whatever you want. Just do the work. Um, so it actually didn't harm them too much. Um, and now colleges have backed off at a lot of the more hardcore restriction stuff. Um, but around the country, man, I was I spent a week and a half in, a week and a half, excuse me, in Southern California in August, I think it was. Yeah, I think that was August. And uh, there were tons of people wearing masks in the cars with the windows rolled up. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they're driving around one hundred twenty thousand dollar cars wearing a mask um, inside the cars. I saw it so many times it's like what is wrong with you people you're like brain damaged um and i think there is going to still be a lot of pushback against how many politicians um school administrators academics 
uh, deans of colleges, there's still a lot of backlash yet to come on that stuff. Kind of like um, a big reason Trump won, I think, in 2016 was the 2008 crash and how that was handled. And it's something few people talked about, but it just pissed off so many people. Why are we bailing out these idiots who crashed our economy with this crazy speculation and housing bubble? Uh, those people were never punished for it. And the seething resentment might have taken other forms over time. But uh, yeah, you have yet to hear the last from parents, especially since the teachers unions are so tenured about it. They're as tenured as the Democrats have been nationally on other issues. And there is a lot of backlash yet to come. And school choice um, is going to be huge. Arizona actually, about two months ago, Doug Ducey, our current governor, signed legislation so that now for every single student in the state, the money follows the kid. So the parents can use that to send them to a charter school of which there are zillions here, very high performing, usually in the top 10 in the nation. Several of them are. And uh, they can send them to that. They can do homeschooling. They can do private schools. We don't have a ton of private schools here. You know, obviously the Catholic schools and a couple hoity-toity uh, day schools, but very small numbers of those. It's mostly all charters out here, which, you know, don't cost any money. So um, the uh, money's going to follow the students. And uh, that is the way going forward. West Virginia is now considering that. Texas is now considering that. Florida is considering that. So that's the way school choice is moving, just to completely cut out the teachers' unions entirely. And uh, once the money follows the student, the parent just isn't sending their kid to a place that's, I don't know, worried about the correct pronouns. They're like, no, I, I want you to teach my kids how to do math and, uh, and English. That, that's all I want you to do. So, John, uh, John real fast. Yeah. Um, I know that Ducey took a ton of shit because obviously Arizona in 2020 was like the, the tipping point. That was the pivotal state when Fox News called it. And that's when Trump kind of went apoplectic. What is Ducey's relationship like with Lake? Does he campaign for her? Does he endorse her? Or did he just endorse her and then be like, okay, you see you later? Uh, he, and, yeah, he does he, kind of have that reputation as an establishment squish. I don't, I don't know much about him. I don't, I right, heard much about right. him. So well, what is his is, relationship like with, with Lake and that voting base? Well, she and kind of the whole stop the steal types um, bash the heck out of him for not, you know, saying the election's invalid and stuff like that. But I think he did. He handled it very well. He didn't like alienate anybody or at least try to alienate people. And I think attacks on him from, you know, the establishment side of the party or the more mega side of the party. I think they're both dumb because he was put in a difficult position and he made the correct choice and didn't care if it was super popular or not. But he, um, a lot of um, some of the mega type opposition to him, it's all style because he has been the most conservative governor Arizona has ever had. And we've had a lot of very conservative governors. He has gotten more stuff done, but he does it with a, with a quiet voice, with a smile. He always brings over a big chunk of Democrats to vote for whatever he wants. Um, He's just kind he's a originally from the Midwest, uh, kind of like a Scott Walker type, I guess. He's just kind of quiet and subdued and not arguing and getting into arguments because he's like, no, that's going to distract me from changing stuff. Um, he enacted a flat tax uh, this year, uh, the lowest in the nation. So, yeah, he's just kind of the type to 
um, quietly go about fixing things and not worrying about who gets the credit. And yeah, I, so Lake was in opposition to him, but the second the primary was over, once the election was called, he immediately endorsed Lake. Um, I think he's done um, some kind of, not really public appearances with her, but uh, kind of uh, any kind of burying the hatchet rituals that he had to do and completely made herself, uh, made himself open to campaigning with her if she wants him. She's like, he's like, I'll go out and rally with you if you want. I'll shut up if you want, whatever. So um, he got that part um, because he had really both sides of the party, a big cohort of people who liked him. And he completely blessed her campaign, and she has not said a bad thing about him uh, since primary uh, primary night was counted. Jack, can I give you one more comment? Quick, quick hit. Go ahead. Well, I thought Doug Ducey was a White House press corps. <laughs> I saw on Twitter yesterday, so I'm kind of surprised he's the governor of Arizona. But... Yeah, he does. He does a lot of work. That's a lot of commuting. The best, the best and brightest in the White House press briefing. Right? <laughs> but the last thing I was going to say is like, Stephen, I don't know if you like. I'm assuming you know what the chirpy is, but I don't know if you saw the one that about David French. Where no. you're in the second round of his chirpy circle, right next to your best friend in the wheelchair, and uh, I just thought it was funny because someone else, actually Cobra Commander Fifteen, wants to know why you blocked him because I saw it on his account, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I like some of these people on here, but Stephen Redstees blocked me for some reason on Twitter." I have so... no idea. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, it was it, it was a, it was an interesting little chirpy of of David French in the middle, and then obviously all the dispatch and bulwark people like right around him in the and big then, circle, there was and just then me me like a tumor sitting right in there. <laughs> <laughs> for for, pe- for people who don't know what she's talking about, there's this thing that people do on Twitter where it's like it's who you it, who you have interactions with like the most or whatever, and they put them in a circle, and the closest ring is like your tightest, and then the second ring, and then there's a third ring. And I guess uh, I, I'd never done one of these because if I did one, it would all just be Rose McGowan. Um, <laughs> it would just be me in the middle with Rose McGowan's head, like all around. That's that's all it would be. Um, and then maybe Sophia, that fucking robot, would be one of the <laughs> other ones. Um, but yeah, I, I heard some things about that. I, I mean, uh, whatever. I, I don't care. Uh, send me, Jacqueline, if you can, like, like on my Patreon, send me this guy's Twitter handle of whoever said I blocked him. I, do, I don't have no idea who it is. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, really I got a couple of comments about I got. I really don't know who he that. is either. I don't really know who he is I think either. I, I think like I someone else I, retweeted. I, I, I think I commented on, I think I commented on that. And I just said, the only reason I'm there is because I comment on your bad movie opinions or something. Um, and I, and I mean, I have a running joke with David where whenever he tweets something like how good Lord of the Rings was, I just tweet David, this is why we lose. Um, which is like making fun of him. And it's also making fun of the just inordinate amount of white hot rage he elicits. Um, and I get why he gets some of it. And I get that he's, you know, he hear, he hears trumpets in his head every time that he writes and every time that he speaks. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, he's just, he's just another guy and another writer. I, to this day, I, I don't, I don't understand like the, what just the fire of a, 
thousand sons of rage, like David French elicits from people on Twitter. I, I mean, I get again the the kind of pompousity and you know the kind again the hearing cherubs every time you write and speak. Uh, but again, I think that happens with Ted Cruz also. So um, I don't know. Do a chirpy. I don't care. Like whatever. So. All right. Well, John, have a good John, evening, you guys. John, have you done a chirpy? I know I posted one. This was a long time ago, at least a year ago, and all the circles surrounding me were other pictures of me. Oh, because I'm very vain, so I yeah. just I, I just posted that out there. I haven't done one um, in I don't know. A very I, I, I just I don't trust my account, like turning my account over to those stupid things because I don't yeah, know who yeah. runs them. So right. that's why I don't participate in a lot of that stuff. So I mean, I don't know, Brad. You're up. Go ahead. We're we're gonna go here until uh, I don't think we're gonna get to everyone back there. Um, I think we're gonna wrap it with Jeffrey. So I po- apologies to JD. Apologies to Craig. Um, but we just you, you can blame John. He was late, so we're we're running late. But uh, we'll do we'll do Brad and we'll do Jeffrey, and then we'll get out of here. So Brad, go ahead. David, um, actually, something John said kind of was a great segue, and I had a I had a comment, and then I had kind of a question for for John kind of to get I the have lots there. of great things to say so you'll have to narrow that down so. no 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 you do um <laughs> it was on the question of when you're talking about Ducey that um you know kind of the part of the reason I find myself on this here pirate ship is the whole you know a lot of Carrie Lake's positive See, points the style the charisma the be able to communicate I don't really give a sentimentose fuck about any of that <laughs> I appreciate the, my, my learning from the Trump years was I want someone who can govern. That's why I like DeSantis. That's why I like Glenn Youngkin. And to me, that's kind of an open question on Carrie Lake. I'm not saying she can't. I'm saying me as a my type of conservative voter, I will only tolerate the kind of Trumpiness if you can also govern. Because to me, that's whoever can do that. That's kind of who unites the clans, right? the person who can attack the media and do all the red meat that the base likes, but they can also like effectively govern a purple state without pissing people off. That was my comment that feel free to, to comment on my question for John on just a very unique, a very specific story um, and to kind of get the local perspective. Cause I don't really trust what we got covered on. Uh, I'm the farthest from a, you know, trust the plan person. I'm just curious how bad a look is it for Katie Hobbs with that stupid ballot story where it's like she's literally the secretary of state in charge of ballots and the candidate and there was a fuck up. And like, I don't think it's like some big conspiracy. It's just a very shitty look. And if you had any unique insight into that. Yeah, it um, yeah, actually, Carrie Lake retweeted me when I brought that issue up. And I don't know if she's ever done that, Um, but uh and we were kind of back and forth about that issue. Yeah, it's horrible. You you have to be competent. And when you're in charge of ballots and there's a ballot screw up, I, I, I would get DMs from people who are kind of more centrist Republicans. Why are you bashing, you know, Hobbs for that? She did the right thing. And they would give me all these technical details. I'm like, dude, nobody cares about any of this stuff. This is your job. You need to fix this crap. And getting a ballot wrong and sending wrong ballots to wrong people and there was one county south of me, which is kind of this growing as Phoenix spreads out further and further into the farthest reaches. Uh, Pinal County is one of the counties they're moving into, but just our constant urban sprawl here. 
And yeah, a bunch of people got ballots there. They didn't order enough Republican ballots at all. And then they were getting some ballots with no Republicans listed. It's like, no, no, you are in charge of this crap. And yeah, it looks really bad if you fail in your current job as the ersatz lieutenant governor, but you want to be governor. Yeah, so I, I think that hurt her a lot. I'm with you. That's why I'm a big Calvin Coolidge fan. I want politicians. I want to hear about them at election time. Maybe hear about them when they decide to nuke a country, and then hear about them at re-election time. That I I, I want you to perform. That's my goal. I don't care about image. Um, I'm suspicious of charisma, which uh, Carrie Lake has in spades. Obviously, she's very appealing. She's very shrewd. But yeah, it's all about basic competence. A lot of voters love the flash more than anything I know, but I just want someone who gets in there and does their damn job, um, <laughs> leaves me out of it as much as possible, but uh, just is competent running things. And that's what you saw with DeSantis. And that's why for the time being, at least um, with what I know of him, he's in the lead for me in 2024, just because he's just competent and he's great at handling the press, but I didn't, I don't care if he never, owns the libs just do your damn job and do it well and he kicked ass uh, during the hurricane stuffs you know huge bridges are getting rebuilt in weeks it's just okay this is who i want i want a steady hand on the tiller who is paying attention and doing his damn job so the rest of us can go about trying to make a living uh helping out our local communities our neighborhoods our churches synagogues our local school board we can handle that stuff. You handle the big deals. And what I think Carrie Lake is going to need is um, a very powerful chief of staff who's cool with her and gets along with her, but also knows all the inner turmoil and knife fights that have been brewing for the past 40 years in the state legislature, knowing, you know, who's ring to kiss, who to ignore. Um, I think she's going to need someone who has a lot of governmental experience in dealing with the petty personality squabbles that you always have in a state capital, and uh, someone who can kind of shepherd um, her ideas into actually taking effect. Um, otherwise, she won't be a successful executive. And yeah, she has no political experience whatsoever. So I think she will win this campaign, and I'm kind of an outlier. I think Blake Masters will eke out a win. Um, I think it's going to be a serious wave um, in our state and nationwide. And John, I think that's are finally accepting that, but she needs to prove herself in office or people are going to turn on her fast. John, you could have been Carrie Lake's chief of staff. If not, if you just came out pro lockdown 10 minutes ago. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. You blew that's it. So much of that. Uh, Brad, I'll give you a, a last round. We'll move on. We'll wrap up with Jeffrey. Uh, um, give John just a little bit more praise and toot his horn that yeah, I think effective governance. It's also, it's also what gives, you mentioned a lot of independence in Arizona, but gives a lot of Democrats across the country uh, an excuse to, to vote for Republican. Yep. You have parents, Demo you know, true blue Democrats who are like, I, I, I don't want my kids trans, so I'm going to vote for Yunkin or mm -hmm. I don't want, uh, you know, I, I, it gives me excuse to vote for uh, DeSantis. So I think, Winning those people over with effective governance, you could have plenty of uh, Arizona voters who pull the lever for cinema, but at the same time, the GOP presidential nominee, and those are, those are important. Yeah, absolutely. You need to give voters permission, and 
you know, the people you need to win over are not the terminally online who are set in their ways, like me, for example. You got to win over the people who just don't even pay attention to this stuff. And yeah, any kind of point of entry you can give them, you know, you, you could have someone who's either an independent or someone who registered as a Democrat when they're 18 and now they have two kids in high school. Um, you know, now they could just use the excuse, look, Hobbs didn't even run. That's why I voted for Lake, if they tell anybody at all. But it's like Hobbs sucks and I had to vote against her because she pissed me off because A, B or C. And that way they don't they aren't being character. They aren't characterizing themselves as the bad guy rooting. I'm not MAGA, obviously, but that Katie Hobbs, I just couldn't tolerate her. And I think Hobbs's incompetence and Lake's competence has given those people the excuse they need to pull the lever for Lake. And that's huge. Jeffrey, bring us home. Again, apologies to uh, you guys back there that I couldn't get to. But, Jeffrey, go ahead and bring us home. Uh, make, make this hour and some 30 minutes worth our while. Uh, well, I hope I can do that. Um, at the beginning of the program, you mentioned the uh, Federalist article about, you know, people, n- the new right, not calling themselves conservatives anymore. And, of course, John's response. And... Uh, the other day, or well, today, actually, I listened to uh, Commentary Magazine's latest podcast, and they were talking about that article as well. And <laughs> something that strikes me with a lot of the the old school right, I guess you'd call it, is that they seem more concerned about keeping the title of conservative for themselves than they are about actual conservative issues and uh you know just wondering about that and i have a little something else but if i could just get your thoughts on that you know yeah i listened to uh the commentary podcast too because i was curious what their take would be yeah what's strange is you have a lot of people and i like the commentary guys i listen to their podcast depending on what the issue is but they're sharp guys i like them we carry them on ricochet where i'm editor-in-chief we have like 50 or some podcasts there so um i like them a lot but there is this strange um attitude among people who've been conservative pundits for a long time where they still think they're the gatekeepers of what is and isn't conservative or right-leaning thinking or whatever you might want to label it and those gates were crushed 20 plus years ago i i don't know why they're still doing this and saying um I'll get that all the time on Twitter. I'll just reply to somebody in my mentions and I'll get a DM from one of these types saying, I can't, I don't know if I can follow you because you're talking to that person. I'm like, we're talking about a movie. What do you mean? You know? And my attitude is always, <laughs> what, what movie? You know, why don't you send me a list of who I'm allowed to talk to, you know, that, that you disapprove of this week. You know, it's like, you don't have any power here anymore. And I don't know why you're holding on to this. Well, I'm with National Review. Well, good for you. If you have great articles, I'll share them. If you're, if you don't, I won't. I, I, I don't understand this weird privilege of gatekeeping because that's gone. That might uh, yeah. bulk up your circle I mean, in Manhattan and the Beltway, but it doesn't work with the rest of the country anymore. And if someone has good ideas, I'm going to read them and promote them. And I don't care. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to talk to them or not, I, I guess is my perspective. And I'm sure I would disagree with, and I did disagree with a lot in that Federalist article. And that's kind of why I wrote my take on it, uh, because I don't get into all this kind of integralism stuff and, you know, 
um, that, that that's something that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me where I'm at, but I was there to take the good and push the good part that I did agree with forward. And uh, I, I don't really care if someone says I shouldn't be taken seriously because I don't take myself seriously. So, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I, I would argue, and I've said this before, there's not even such a thing as conservative media anymore. There is, you know, I, I know there's Tucker and there's Fox and stuff like that, but Trump did such a spectacular job of splintering the political right. Um, you know, there's that saying, like, basically, Trump was kind of the rock that everyone in conservative media just broke themselves against. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I, when I had David French on my podcast, I talked to him about that. And I, I, now with so many people out there just, you know, who could be considered conservative media, I don't know, is commentary still conservative media? I don't know. Like Noah Rothman's on MSNBC. I, and I like Noah, don't get me wrong. I'm not. He wrote he wrote a great book uh, about the political left this year. But uh, I'm just saying, like, uh, could you consider commentary the political right as far as media? I guess. Is the dispatch? Yeah, I guess. Um, is the bulwark? Probably not. We would argue that. But like National Review jumps around and they have different opinions on things. And um, now, I mean, you have so many people who are also just doing their own thing. It's like me, where I, you know, I'm a contributing editor for Spectator. And the whole reason I'm writing for a British magazine is because these, these philosophical arguments on the political right bore the ever living shit out of me. And they, it, they always have. And I think me and John have always been on the same page on this, which is, you know, and, and I'll just to, just to throw out the, uh, an example that I've talked about before is we had this big debate between Saul Barmarmi and David French, and it was moderated by Ross Douthat. It was a big to do, and everyone was paying attention. Everyone was in the room. It was like a heavyweight fight. And I'm sitting here just going, I can't imagine a single fucking voter in the country interested in any of this. <laughs> like, like, who are you talking for? You're, you're talking to yourselves. That's it. Like, that's all you guys are doing. You're talking, you're having a debate that only the three of you and the people in that room care about. And most of the chin strokers are already in their corner. David has his fans. Sorab had his fans. And they all just stroke their chins. And yes, Sorab made a very intelligent try point about trad wives or whatever. And I read David and I read Sorab and I take away things from everybody. Um, but I've always said, like, you guys are having this debate on your fucking cruise ship. And over here is a raft with the political right, and it's drowning. Like It's just there's people falling off of it, and it's drowning. And you guys are sitting on your fucking lawn chairs on the cruise talking amongst yourselves. And that's the kind of vacuum that then people that you don't like fill. That's, that's when Milo Yiannopoulos fills a vacuum. And that's when, you know, uh, these groiper idiots fill a vacuum. And that's when people go, oh, he's saying some interesting stuff. I'm going to go over there or like whatever. Um, and that's what leads to things like Donald Trump is Donald Trump was not created out of the sky. He was created um, from years of, I think, political pundits on the right, ignoring their audience, ignoring their audience's concerns and just kind of saying, you need to listen to us. And I think Trump's election was, no, you need to listen to us now. And I still think that there is a section of the political right that has not accepted that. And whether or not they accept it now, I, I think is irrelevant. And as I've said, if, if, if your problem is you want to persuade the political right away from Donald Trump, how on earth do you think you're going to do that at The Atlantic and on CNN and MSNBC? You're not. So 
that to me calls in why you think you're actually doing it. And so I don't like I read both the fellows piece. I wrote I read John's piece and a lot of the stuff you'll see. I don't really comment on because I, I take it in and then I think, OK, yeah, you know, whatever. And then in John's case, I just make fun of it and say, no, nope, the Avengers, come on, <laughs> Boomer, where we have to bring in the youth here. We're the Avengers party. Um, and, you know, that's made me enemies and it's made me weird allies in the last five years. But I'm kind of with John. If. If you're on the left and you have something to say, I'm going to listen to you. Matt Stoller is a perfect example of a guy who is pretty much a Bernie Sanders guy through and through, but has very smart takes to me on foreign policy and China and trade and tariffs and things like that. And so, again, I, you know, and we, we'll wrap up here, but I, I just don't even think conservative media exists anymore. Um, I, I think, you know, is Barry Weiss conservative media, for example? No, but she's doing her own thing and she's writing some of the most interesting stories and uh, she's she's having some of the most interesting people guest write for her. And because of now tech's involvement, Peter Thiel and Elon Musk and David Sachs. Hi, David, who founded this app. They're now getting involved in these debates, too. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I'm on Colin because David Sachs said that this is going to be a free speech app and you can come on and they're not going to kick you out and they're not going to do any of this. And so far they've held up their end of the bargain. And that's kind of where I'm at. And, you know, a lot of that set that we all kind of like to clown on a bit. And I, I, I like the commentary guys, don't get me wrong, but John's kind of right about, uh, gatekeeping doesn't work when the gate has been smashed and has been like thrown into the bushes. Yeah, it, that era is completely gone. Uh, they all go back to, I don't know, William F. Buckley writing Ayn Rand out of the movement. It's like, that is way before my time. We, we Excuse me, we are in a very different era politically. Whether, and, like, and whether you, you like I, it or not, I just that's kind the of thing. Avoid, like, you're, we're yeah. in a different era whether you accept that or whether you don't. Right, <laughs> like, right. And you, and you better figure it out if you want to be relevant instead of dismissing and sneering people as beneath contempt. Just like you, I will read their thoughts and like what I like and disagree with what I disagree with. And sometimes I'll counter them. But I also have no interest in bashing, like you're saying, the people bashing David French, Jonah Goldberg, this person, that person. I have no interest in knocking them off their perch. I'm doing my own thing. And when I, I don't, I don't people really like have that, an interest in that. Yeah. I have an interest when they kind of, you know, have an interest in knocking me off mine but other than that i'm kind of with you i'm just kind of like go write your thing and leave me alone and it's only kind of when they kind of come into my backyard to where i'm like hey why are you trying to light my tree on fire um and that's kind of it jeffrey i'll go ahead and give you the last word and we can all get out of here and get on with our saturday okay yeah i was just gonna say that you know you, you talked about the wonky like stupid meaningless debates amongst conservatives about stuff my favorite one is and probably always will be the uh, debate between Rich Lowry and Jonah Goldberg over whether nationalism is good or bad, which consisted of Rich Lowry making the argument that good nationalism is good and bad nationalism is bad. <laughs> and Jonah Goldberg rebutting and Jonah Goldberg rebutting with, well, no, good nationalism is patriotism and bad nationalism is nationalism. And then they just talk past each other for an hour and a half on a cruise ship to boot. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, those internal debates are fun for those guys because they are big thinkers and they're big. They think they're modern day philosophers and some are. Um, I just, I I look at, I look at, I look at a different landscape than they do. 
Um, a lot of those guys uh, you have, you know, out educated me and I'm sure they're more, you know, more well read. They read better good than me or whatever. And obviously they're published authors and they think, you know, because they're published authors that everyone wants to hear what they want to say. But I, I just come from a different place where I, I look at things and I just go, I can't imagine who you think you're helping with this. Like, who are you trying to persuade? Which to me, if you're going to be a political writer with a stance, which is I'm on the political right, I think that I, I don't like every idea on the political right. But like what John says and I say is I see one party that is wrong often and I see the other one that's literally just trying to, you know, break my legs like misery, you know. And so there is that contingent where because even though you hate Trump and even though I'll still not vote for Trump, that doesn't make me become a Democrat. OK, and if you do that, and I guess my problem with the crew who's done that is you should explain why you had a change of heart on issues that have nothing to do with Donald Trump. And because, again, Trump is somebody that's he's going to be gone here in at least six years. OK, and that's still a long time. But when you center your entire political universe around him, and this is where I think me and John were so good with the conservatarians, is we didn't center our political universe around Trump. We we talked about the bad. We talked about the good. We talked about the, the difference in how media covers him and then how media elevated him. And then when, oops, oh, shit. And that's where we are today. Um, but we were able to find things that were happening around. And I think that that's why how we drew our audiences. It's like, I'm not here bashing Trump 24-7. I'm also here not praising him 24-7. But you're right in the sense of, you know, that kind of political realignment among that set, I still think is very self-involved. And it's mainly for self-preservation. And I don't know how many of them are actually interested in the political debate anymore. And um, I, I guess I look at it and say, if, you, if you're just going through the motions, which to me feels like a lot of them are, then get the fuck off the stage and make room for people who are interested in part of these debates, whether it's politics, media, culture. And like John said, uh, if you look, you can find common ground with those people. And this again, this is the reason why I love Colin. I'm not, you know, me and John aren't here having a debate with each other while you all just have to sit there and bask in our glory. You still should. We're both very glorious and you should bask in us. Um, but again, we get to talk to people and from all over the country and stuff like that and get unique perspectives and kind of figure out where we all are. So that's, I think that that's my last two cents of the night. Yeah. Uh, we, you, see, yeah. We, got, we got, yeah, we got a little bit of gossip in there, right? <laughs> so Jeffrey, thank you. I'm going to go ahead. Thank you. Uh, uh, last thing, John, people want to hear. What What is your album of the week? What are you listening to? Well, it's actually, it was my song of the week on the King of Stuff podcast a couple weeks ago, but I keep going back to it. It's this guy who goes by the name. He's an Australian kid. Makes his music in his bedroom. He goes by the name Desmond Doom, and he has created a new genre called Surf Goth. I am a huge fan of it's just a dude playing his bass and it sounds like if Joy Division was mashed up with I don't know Dwayne Eddy or one of these classic surf guitar gods and it's simple it's funny and it's awesome so everybody rush now to Spotify or YouTube and check out Desmond Doom all right, I just I just put that one in my 2022 year Uh, the album that caught my attention this week uh, is a guy named Ryax, R-Y space X. And 
I listened to his album and it's kind of electro folk while we're talking about inventing genres. It's like folk music, but there's electro beats in there and whatever. And, and then I went and I looked this guy up because I'd never heard of him. And I don't know, man, he's, he, he's got like a, a weird post Malone, father, John Misty vibe going. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it ruined it for me. I mean, he, he looks like he, he just he looks like a dude that would be, you know, trying to rape girls at Coachella. OK, that's the only way I know how to put it. Like, like spiking drinks at Coachella. He, he's a little bit overboard on the image stuff, I guess. It's a little too much for me. Uh, but the album is good. Uh, I'm not going to like praise it all to high heaven, but it is interesting and it's interesting to listen to. And uh, electro folk is the exact you know, perfect description of it. And I can already just tell people are going to instantly hate it or like it just based on me saying that. And then I would say, after you listen to the album, then go look at photos of the guy and then decide what you want. I don't know. I I retweeted this thing that I love. I don't know if John saw it of a guy who says uh, he's listening to the new Taylor Swift album and he can instantly decide if Jack Antonoff is a producer on the song based on his visceral hate of Jack Antonoff's and he got I think there's like I don't know I don't listen to the Taylor Swift but I, I think there's 13 songs and he got 12 of them uh, <laughs> right so he said he listens to it for like two seconds and then he goes yep that's him and then he'll listen to the intro and he'll, I don't know I don't know and then it'll, it'll like a, a bass line will cut it and he goes yeah that's him and uh, he names like all of them he gets 11 out of like 12 right in the first five seconds, name of the song. So just a fun little tip. I retweeted that if anyone's interested in it. He's a British guy, but it's funny. So, uh, John, thank you for dropping in. I know it was last minute. I just, uh, this is something, Terry Lake is something that's been on my mind for a while. And I thought about doing like a profile on some of this stuff, you know, the good, the bad, uh, you know, the, as you said, the charisma of her, her, her ties to media, what makes her formidable, uh, both now and possibly in the future. Um, so again, thanks for jumping on here and, uh, it was good to talk to you again, even though I know we're like, we're both kind of like teetering on old mandem now. So we're like, this is like nostalgia film reboot or some shit or like whatever. So, um, yeah, it was great. Had a blast. Anytime. Um, next time, try to be on time. Um, and, uh, but that'll be it. So again, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks to the callers again. Apologize. We didn't get to everyone. Um, uh, I think Craig and JD, uh, I'll probably be back here Monday. So if you choose, jump in the queue there and I'll, I'll try to bump you guys up depending on what the topic is. Um, but as I said, we're kind of barreling towards silly season here. Uh, I think the one event that I know of coming up, we'll see is we have shotgun Frankenstein debating Oz, uh, on the 25th. So we'll see if that debate even happens or if it happens with his wife instead or what. So, but again, thanks to my callers. Thanks to everyone uh, for joining and spending about an hour here listening to us ramble on. This has been episode 52, uh, The Persuasive Power of Carrie Lake uh, with both me and John Gabriel. And uh, I will see you all back on Patreon Tuesday if I don't see you back here on Monday. So again, thanks, John. Thanks to my